Deuteronomy chapter 32. A few verses that we'll look at right here and then really get into the uh, thrust of the message. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass because I will publish the name of the Lord ascribe ye greatness unto our God he is the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are judgment a God of truth and without iniquity just and right is he If the Lord would bless us for a few minutes this morning, I want to look at what the gospel or doctrine does. And I want to look at the giving of eternal life and hope to prove at least what has convinced me that we do not as a people embrace the doctrine of what's called gospel regeneration. Most of the Christian denominations in the world will fall under that category. I'm not saying that Primitive Baptists are the only ones that believe in the immediate regeneration by the Holy Spirit and nothing else. But they're the only ones that I found that embrace that understanding of the doctrine. It is an important doctrine. It's one of the cardinal principles or identities of the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you'll turn back in the Articles of Faith, the ones that Brother Phil's grandfather acknowledged and embraced 83 years ago, you'll see that the, the foundation of Mount Carmel was established with this very fundamental principle doctrine. I'll read it to you. Article number six. We believe that all the saints were predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. We believe that they were elected to eternal salvation according to the foreknowledge of God and that they will be called. This is the this is this is the giving of life eternal that they will be called with a holy calling and the righteousness of Christ actually imputed into them imputed to them by the effectual working of the holy spirit and then it sums it up the same article article chapter six if you have a a church directory it's uh, it's in your church directory as well this is what mount carmel was uh some of the principles that mount carmel was established upon but it ends by saying 
It says that, um, that uh, I'll, I'll just go through it again. We believe that all the saints were predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, elected to eternal salvation according to the foreknowledge of God, and that they will be called with a holy calling and the righteousness of Christ actually imputed to them by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit so that none of the heirs of promise... That's the elect family of God so that none of the heirs of promise will be eternally lost. What does that mean? It just simply means that all those that Jesus Christ died for upon the cross of Calvary, that, that the Holy Spirit will give them spiritual life without the assistance of man, without any other aid, without participation of the individual, that it's solely and wholly by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit and that it's effective 100% of the time. It's always effective. God knows his people. He knows where they are. And he knows exactly what it takes to reach his people where they are. Brother Phil, that was a fundamental mark that your grandfather held to. And when this church was established, it embraced this principle of doctrine. And it has stood for that since that time. All right. You say, well, what's the benefit and purpose of the gospel? It says, my doctrine shall drop as the rain my speech shall distill as the dew i probably might have a greater appreciation for rain than you do because i spent the first 30 years in the desert i, I grew up in west texas and i tell you when it rained it was a celebration of such that they'd almost let school out i mean it would change the countenance of everybody when it started raining, it, 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 just, it just encouraged us. And we got excited when we would see the rain. And, and it was really good even when we had a gully washer. You ever had a gully washer here? Maybe that's just in Texas, but it's uh, when it all comes at one time. But, boy, we enjoyed the rain. We'd go out and play in the rain. We'd ride our bikes in the rain. Because when it rained, it was a celebration. Now, it doesn't rain very often uh, in Amarillo, Lubbock, and the further south you get, El Paso and places like that, I think their average rainfall is maybe three inches a year. And it may come at one time. So they go a lot of time without seeing rain. And in those West Texas yards, they have Bermuda grass. I don't know if you have Bermuda grass up here. I don't know why we had Bermuda grass. I'm glad that they come out with fake grass grass. Have you ever seen that? You know what I'm talking about? But folks had Bermuda grass in the yard, and unless you watered it, it always looked dead. It was yellow. It was gray. You walk across it, and your, your feet are full of, your shoes are full of dust, because it, all it does is collect dust, and it just looks like it's dead all the time. But I tell you, a rain comes... And it seems like almost within minutes, that grass that looks like it's dead, all of a sudden you begin to see some signs of life. And that grass that's dead almost in hours begins to turn green. And you begin to see some signs of life. 
Does anybody here have a green thumb? Yep, a lot of fingers are pointing toward Tom Reese. That's exactly right. I was going to swing by Walmart this morning to pick up some green tape so we could uh, paint one of his thumbs green, just so he could really prove to you that he does have a green thumb. Brother Tom has a green thumb. Sister Reeves can testify to that. You go look in their basement and you'll see that he has a green thumb. But you know that Brother Tom's green thumb, it doesn't create life in those plants. God does. Brother Tom could go out there and talk to those plants from morning till night. And if those plants don't have life in them, Brother Tom's not going to give them life. Now, he may labor with it, he may work it, he may till the soil and hope that life does spring forth, but that's only a manifestation that the plant is alive. He's not going to give it life. It's the same way with the gospel. The gospel is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. I remember Sister Laura thought she had a green thumb, and maybe she did. Remember Sister Laura and Sister Jerry? When Sister Laura and Sister Jerry were taking care of Elder Compton, the delivery truck arrived for the florist, and, uh, and they, I'll use a southern term, they brought Brother Compton a pot plant. I've been instructed since then, you're not supposed to refer to them as pot plants, but uh, they brought him a plant. And Sister Laura would take turns with Sister Jerry and they watered that plant and it just looked like it was thriving. And then one day somebody told Sister Laura, well, that's an artificial plant, Sister Laura. <laughs> All that time they thought they had a wonderful green thumb. <clears throat> My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord. That's the gospel. Publishing the name and the greatness of our God. The gospel has a profound effect upon someone that has life. If someone has life, the gospel has a wonderful effect upon it. In fact, we have a little eight-year-old that uh, at one point she said, one of the worst things that could possibly happen to me is that I couldn't go to church. I wonder why. Because apparently it does something for her. And the reason that it does something for her is not to get life, but it's because she has life. If the gospel means anything at all to you, it's because you've got life. You've already got life. Let's go through and we'll look at uh, a couple of, uh, of points. You, you, we can't even sustain life in a plant. We try. I, I, I acknowledge I don't have a green thumb. I do not have the ability. Uh, don't send me a live plant because I, it, it just doesn't look the same a week or two weeks or a month later. I don't have that ability to even sustain life, nor do we have the ability to sustain natural life. 
Brother Jack Barnes was an old brother that uh, joined the church in Lubbock, Texas. And, when, and he wanted more than anything, he wanted to live to be 100 years old. Sometimes I think I would like that. Sometimes I think not. But he wanted to live to be 100 years old. And when he went to the doctor, when he was 90 years old, the doctor checked him out. The doctor gave him a full assessment. And he said, it looks like you're doing real good. It looks like you're going to be around for a while. And Brother Jack, halfway kidding, halfway serious, Brother Jack told the doctor, he said, listen, I want to have an understanding with you right now. I want to know if you're going to if you're going to help me to make it to 100 years old. If you're not, I'm going to change doctors right now. That's putting a lot of pressure on the doctor. But there's no doctor around that can sustain life. The doctor can't give life. Eventually, we're going to die. So we can't create life. We can't keep from dying when the Lord comes to to take us home. One of the identifying marks of the church is that we are given spiritual life by the quickening of the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that there's two reasons that there's two reasons that some people cannot rejoice in, embrace Thrive with the gospel. And there's one reason that other people don't. Two reasons that this certain class will never appreciate, thrive, or rejoice in the gospel is number one, they're not the Lord's. If they're not a sheep, if they're a goat, if they're not a Jacob, but an Esau, it doesn't matter how much you preach to them. You're not going to turn a goat into a sheep. And they're not going to have an appreciation for the gospel. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus Christ said to him, he said, ye believe not. Now you'd think that if they were going to believe a preacher, they believe Jesus Christ. The perfect preacher delivering the perfect message. If anybody could reach the non-elect, it would be Jesus Christ. So there's two reasons that they won't hear or have or appreciate the gospel. First of all, they're non-elect. The second reason is that they're spiritually dead. Now, every single one of us fall in that category. Hopefully, by God's mercy and by God's grace, we don't fall into the first category. If we do, there's no hope for us. But we fall in the second category. We may be hard to the gospel. We may be hardened to the things of God because it's very likely, it's very possible that God hasn't visited us yet with his spirit. We don't know who the elect are. God does. And it is not our business to determine who is and who is not a child of God. You can have a good indication by the fruits that they bear. But it may be that 
an individual lives the life like the thief on the cross that was next to Christ did, his entire life it seemed apparent that he did live an ungodly life. And then before he died, God quickened him with his spirit and made him alive. He was just as an elect child of God when he was a young man as he was at his mature years as well. God just had not visited him and quickened him with his spirit. When God visits us and quickens us with his spirit, it changes us. Can you tell the difference in somebody that's dead or alive? I mean, it may not be a lot of difference. Somebody may look dead, but if you hang around them long enough, you're going to begin to see some kind of evidence if they're really dead or if they're really not. You probably heard the story about the individual that died, and I don't know if it's a man or a woman, I can't remember, but the individual that died, and they, uh, they wheeled them down from the hospital room down to the morgue part in the basement. I, I don't know why, but it seems like all the morgues in the basement are in the basement in hospitals, and that's where they pushed them down to, and, and they looked like they were dead. They covered them up with a sheet, and a few hours later, somebody walked by, and they saw a little bit of movement on the sheet. They looked like they were dead, but they weren't. They were still alive. You and I can't give life. Let's look at, uh, well, in uh, uh, John. Um, John chapter 3 says, um, John declares to Nicodemus, or Christ declares to Nicodemus, he says, uh, he said, verily, verily, he said, verse 3, he says, uh, verily, verily, and this is Christ delivering this message right here. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Now, now that, don't, don't give him a real bad rap, because really and truly, if, if you were in his place, you, you might say the same thing. Here, here he comes to him and he says, you need to experience a new birth. You need to be born again. And Nicodemus is trying to process it in his mind. And he says, he just comes back and he says, well, how can a man when he's old, how can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? It, they're not even possible. How can he be born again? A lot of folks wonder that question. He says, how can a be, man be born again? Well, let me just ask you, did any of you here participate in your first birth? Did you say, I think I'm going to help mom out on this? Nicodemus said, how is it that when a man is old that he could be born again? And, 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 and then Christ answers, and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he, he, he begins to separate it out right here. And he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Nicodemus, you're a natural man. You've got a natural body. You're walking and breathing and talking and living. And, and that is born of the flesh. This natural body is. But he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You need two births. Now, whether or not you experience the first one, if you're a child of God, you will experience the second one. 
You say, what do you mean? Several. I remember when Brother Steve and Sister Kathy and a handful of folks, about 100 years ago, we went down to Washington, D.C., and we uh, participated in the March for Life. Sister Kathy had made these great big posters, and, and here we're walking down. We were all young back then, and we were walking down Constitution Avenue carrying a billboard that Sister Kathy had made for us, and, 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 and the purpose of it was to acknowledge and pray that God would have mercy upon our land and upon our nation for the death of all the young ones that are aborted before birth. I will tell you something that stuck in my mind, and I'm sure Brother Steve would remember it very well. We were walking along with thousands of people, and all of a sudden we just start singing Faith of Our Fathers. You remember that? And folks around us started singing Faith of Our Fathers. We, we carried hymn books with us back then. We'd start singing those hymns, and others would start singing as we we're walking down the streets. We weren't unruly, we weren't rioting. We were going to the capital and praying that God would have mercy upon this land. The unborn infant may not experience a natural birth. But if they're saved by God's grace, they'll experience that new birth whether or not they experience that natural birth God is not hindered in quickening and giving life to an unborn child got proof for you on that in uh, Luke chapter 1 Verse 40, well, we'll start with verse 40. Elizabeth and Mary were talking about the birth of Christ. They were, they were, they were in each other's presence. And it says that, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that gives life. And these moms that we have, that have all these precious children, this is encouraging to know. that. Did you know that, that God may quicken or give life to one of your children while you're yet carrying them in the, in the nine-month term? God can reach them and give them life so that when they're born, they can already be born spiritually if God so desires to do that. Here's where it happened with one individual. It says that the Holy Ghost filled, uh, that, uh, that the babe leapt in her womb. And, it, and, and then it comes down and it says in verse 44, it says that the babe leapt in her womb for joy. Do you know what? That's one of the outcomes of God giving spiritual life. It gives us joy. It does. It makes us happy in the Lord. It gets us outside of ourselves. And thinking about something else. And it's the Lord. Here it says that she, that uh, John leapt for joy. He leaped while in his mother's womb for joy. Now, let me just, let me just throw this in. 
lot of folks that will tell you that you, you must hear the gospel, you must believe the gospel, you must accept the gospel. If you ask them the question, what about the unborn? What about the infant? What about the one that is mentally challenged? Brother Sonny Powell has an autistic son. I don't know if he's ever spoken a word. Some of you may have met him when they traveled up here. Brother Sonny and his wife, they're, all, they're 79 years old and they're still caring for this, this son that is, uh, uh, had some mental challenges from his birth. But you start singing hymns of praise. You start talking about the Lord. Danny's his name, or Daniel. He gets so excited, he'll start patting his foot. He'll start patting his hands. He's rejoicing in the Lord. You say, what about that individual? What about the unborn that can't hear the gospel minister? What about the little child that can't hear the gospel minister or understand the gospel minister? What about the individual that's compromised in a mental state? I think that most all of us are, you know. But what about that individual? And folks will tell you, you talk to them about it and ask. They'll say, well, God makes an exception in those cases. Well, do you know what? I believe that. I believe that God makes an exception. And I believe that exception is called grace. And he not only makes an exception in their case, but he makes it in ours as well. We don't have the ability. We don't have the desire. And God, through his grace, reaches us. So God doesn't have a plan of salvation for the young and another plan for the old and and, and a, a plan for the unborn and a plan for the infant and a plan for the individual that can't hear or comprehend. God has one plan of salvation and it's through Jesus Christ and it is completely and solely and wholly by his grace Amen. for everyone. Doesn't make exceptions. That little infant, that little unborn child, is saved by the same grace that you and I are as well. Well, a couple of other individuals. This one is um, this one is really really good. Psalms chapter twenty-two. Psalms chapter twenty-two. David says in Psalms chapter twenty-two. He says, "But thou art he." That took me out of the womb. And he says, and thou didst make me hope. Now, I've heard folks say that, that well, if all I had was hope, you, you better have a, a strong assurance without any doubts and, and never have any doubts whatsoever. Anybody here have any doubts ever? I think that's something we can all relate to. David said... He said it's, he starts out and he gives the credit to the Lord. He ends up giving the credit to the Lord. He says, it's he that took me out of the womb. But he said, thou didst make me hope 
This is exciting to me. This ought to be exciting to Carla and to uh, the, the other mothers that uh, Elsa and the other mothers that we have here. This is exciting. God can quicken your child while he's in your womb, but God also can quicken your child while he's nursing upon your breast. God can reach that child when he's but an infant before he can understand, before he can interpret, before he can communicate. I thought it was really, really, really neat. I still think it's neat that Camden knew sign language before she could actually say something. I mean, they had a form of communication that was just, it was over my head. It really was. I mean, she, they, they still, I think, do it a little bit. But Camden could just communicate with her mother through Shias and I'm sure through uh, Calvin as well, through sign language, before she could even uh, communicate with words. And I think that's pretty neat. But you know what even precedes that? Is the, is the reception of the Holy Spirit of God. If God chooses to touch an individual while in their mother's womb or on their mother's breast, they're going to be receptive 100% of the time. That's even better than sign language. It is. It's new birth. It's spiritual life. God can quicken an individual when he so desires and when he chooses. And I tell you, when you hear that beautiful sound of the gospel, boy, it'll perk you up. It'll make you feel like, it'll make you know you've got some life. It'll make that dead grass look like it's alive when you hear the wonderful message of the gospel of God's grace. Let's look at a couple more individuals. Um, look at uh, uh, Luke chapter Luke chapter 23. You've got two individuals right here. Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 39. You've got, uh, you've got a setting right here that Christ, who had done no wrong, was in between two individuals who had done wrong. One of them doesn't acknowledge his wrongdoing. One acknowledges his wrongdoing, all in the very same setting. So if, if a setting was going to deliver you or save you, if a gospel message was going to deliver you or save you, this would have been the very perfect one. Now, as effective as Christ is, don't you believe that if he's there and he's delivering the message, that it'd be received 100% of the time? Look at what happens here. It says, uh, let's see, verse... Uh, 39, let's start. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. That is representative of an individual who is not changed. I'm owed something. I deserve better than what I've had. I've had a, I've had a hard road and I deserved it better. I'm really more worthy. I'm not deserving of all that has come upon me. Look at what he says right here. He says, if you be the Christ, this is one thief that's on one side of Christ as Christ is being crucified. He says, he looks at Christ and he says, if thou be the Christ, if you are who you say you are, if you are who others say you are, he says, if you be the Christ, he says, save yourself. And then he says, and us. He says, you save them and you save yourself and then you save us. There was a difference in the other individual. Wouldn't you agree? Look at how he approached Christ. 
And I'll tell you, when the Lord gets through with giving you the quickening spirit of God, there's a difference. You're not the same as you were before. Here's the difference. But the other answering rebuked him saying, the other said, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? Now, did, did you know that uh, if you fear God, if you have a holy and a reverential fear of God, and you know that you're undeserving and you're unworthy, and if you received hell itself, that song that we sing, it's Tim's favorite song, 89, Show Pity, Lord. He said, and if my soul were sent to hell, thy righteous law approves it well. That's what the other individual was saying right here. He said, he said, uh, he said do not thou fear God. Dost not thou fear God? Somebody that has been given spiritual life has some reverence or awe or appreciation or respect or fear of almighty God. He says, dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And he says, and we indeed justly. He said, we're guilty. He said, he's not guilty. He's, he's being punished and he's not guilty. He's not worthy of this, but you and I are. And look what he says. He said, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Boy, aren't you glad that, now really and truly, aren't you glad we don't receive the due reward of our deeds? I'll tell you, that's part of the good news that Brother Ace and Brother Steve and I delight to share with you, is that we don't receive the just reward of our deeds. We don't. He said, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, this man that is, is, is talking to the other individual, he says, and, th and then he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, this is in red, this is what Christ said to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, my brain is super small, and, and it, there's a lot of things I don't understand. There's a lot of things that in God's word I don't understand. And I don't try to preach to you something that I haven't been given a little bit of light on. If I don't understand it clearly. But I tell you, by God's grace, I can kind of understand that. That this day, do you know what that gives me real good encouragement to know that when we pass from this life, our soul and spirit go to the Lord who gave it this day. Because he is an example that if the spirit and soul of this individual was in the presence of God this day, then there's not going to be a holding area for us. But it went that day. Now his body went to, the, went to the tomb or went to the ground to await the resurrection. And the spirit and the changed body will be reunited when we get to heaven. But, but Christ said to this thief upon the cross, he said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's why when I go to the bedside of somebody that's about to pass away, I get, I get, I get plumb excited. That's southern talk. But I get plumb excited because I know that, that 
in, in a few minutes that their spirit and their soul, it's out of there. It's with the Lord who gave it this day. He said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Another one that's, uh, that's really good is in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 10 is good too. Encourage you to go read that as well. But Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9. Um, here you have Saul. Later, turn, the name changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul. And here's his condition. Saul yet breathing out threatenings against and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. Now, really and truly, if there was any case that was too hard for God, this would have probably been right at the top of the list. So this gives me the assurance that there's not anything that's too hard for the Lord. There may be somebody that's pursuing an ungodly course, but I tell you what, when the Lord gets through with them, they're a different person. And look at what he says right here. He gives this account of Saul. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest. What did he go to the high priest for? He wanted to form a church meeting, invite folks to come. No, he wanted to have a meeting, but he wanted to persecute them. He wanted to persecute the Christians and those that were delivering the message of Jesus Christ. He went to the high priest and he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. What he's saying right here is if there's somebody that's going to serve the Lord and they cross paths with him, he's going to embrace them and he's going to take them back and take them bound to Jerusalem. And it says, and as he journeyed, this is the case with most, I, I, I can't say that. God is sovereign and when he quickens an individual. This is the case with many of God's elect family. It's as we're on our journey. As we're doing our own thing. As we're going away from the Lord. As we're doing things that are not pleasing to the Lord. As we're on our own path, it says that as he was on his journey, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly, now where was the preacher? Preacher's way over here about 15 verses later. And the preacher, when told to go and preach to Saul, he says, I don't think I want to do it. I believe I've been given the wrong name. I've heard about him. Why don't you send somebody else? I, I don't really feel like that. He began to question going to preach to Paul because he knew about the history of Paul. Preacher wasn't there. It said, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. I tell you what, that's one of the, one of the great evidences of the working of the Holy Spirit is that it's quick. When the Lord does a work of grace within an individual, he changes us just like that. 
It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process. Now, not everybody has the very same magnitude of the experience outwardly as the Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus, but everybody has the same inward experience. You're given spiritual life, and you live. Here he says, and he says, there, there, there was a light that shined round about him, a light from heaven. And by the way, that's where our spiritual life comes from. It comes from heaven. It comes from God. It comes through the Holy Spirit of God. And it comes direct to the individual when we are given that spiritual life. And he said that he fell to the earth. It had an impact upon him. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, I want to serve you. I want to spend my life serving you. He, he, didn't even, he didn't even, at that point, he didn't even know the name of Jesus Christ. He didn't even know who was doing the work within him. Did you know that a lot of times we don't know our parents until we're maybe a year or two or three years old? We might be able to recognize their voice or their caressing and the way they handle us and things like that. But I seriously doubt that Camden knew that her daddy's name was Colin and her mother's name was Elsa. Now, they may have developed sign language and told her that, but... But I seriously expect it was a while before she really knew that. But she was taught that. But she was teachable. And when the Lord does his work of grace within the heart of an individual, we're teachable. We're teachable to the things of God. We're hungry. We sang the song, hungry, faint, and poor. We're not hungry for the things of God unless God has given us his spirit. But once we are given the Spirit of God, we have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. It's like Sister Reeves said, God teaches us that we know our need of Him. Paul said, I have a need. And he said, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. What would you have me to do? Now, in Paul's case, it was to go and travel and preach the gospel in different lands suffer persecution, to live in prisons, and, and things like that. But did you know that that's not the case for every single individual? That was Paul's lot, and that was Paul's experience. But did you know that, Laura, when you get all those little girls together, and you're, you have a big bucket, a pan of soapy water, and you're wiping down the tables down in the basement, did you know that ultimately you're doing that because you're serving God, and it's for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you're, when you're sweeping or, or vacuuming the floors here, when you're emptying the trash, when, you're, when Brother Phil backs his pickup up and, and we dump a bunch of mulch around the flower beds, it's for the purpose of the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for the purpose of, of, of providing a place, a place to worship. When Brother Steve gets on the internet and spends hours upon him to put messages of sermons over and over so that people across the country can tune in and listen to messages that, that have been proclaimed by able ministers for many years to come. It's to serve the Lord for the purpose of the spreading of the gospel of God's amazing grace. You don't have to travel to distant lands. You don't have to... You, you, you don't have to... Uh, you, 
hopefully end up in prison like Paul did. That was his experience in his life, and, and a lot came out of that. But you can serve God for the furtherance of the gospel right where you are. Just look around you. You'll be amazed at the opportunities. When you go minister, brother, uh, sister Jane Malcolm's son, Barry, called and he said, I want you to know how much good it has done my mother when the church members have been coming over. Some of them spend as much as an hour at a time. And he said, you'll have no idea what a blessing that is to my mother. Did you know you're sharing the gospel when you're doing that? You're sharing the love of Christ. The love of Christ in you is being made manifest to others when you're doing that. You're spreading the gospel. Well... Go on down. It's so good. And, and uh, boy, this is so good. All of chapter 9 is absolutely outstanding. It's really, really, really good. Um, I'll conclude with, uh, with uh, two portions in Ezekiel. Two portions in Ezekiel. Here's how it happens. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. A new heart will I give you. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one that's in the business of doing heart surgery and changing our heart out and taking this old cold and stony and hard heart and changing it. And he says, a new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you an heart of flesh. And he says, and I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. He says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. God does it. And he's effective 100% of the time. Now, here's how he does it. You know... I'm so glad that there's so many stories or illusions or pictures in the Bible because it helps me to be able to understand. And it helps me to be able to share it with you to understand the truths that are in it. Ezekiel said, the hand of the Lord was upon me, verse 30, chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. He's giving uh, a picture right here. And caused me to pass by round about them. Now, I honestly think of a lot of other things I'd rather do than go to sit in a valley full of dry bones. I don't care if it's animal bones. I don't care what it is. There may be some human bones that are there. I'm just not excited about that. But I get the picture. I do. He says, he caused me to pass by and round about and behold, there were, says there were very many and they were in an open valley and lo, I don't know why he put this in there, but it's interesting. He says there were many and they were in an open valley and he says, and oh, by the way, they were very dry. That's his interpretation of it. I, I believe he probably says that so that we realize that there's absolutely no life whatsoever in these bones. He said, and he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? I think it's interesting how that, that uh, he was answered on that. He didn't give his opinion. 
We're glad he you've been say, able to listen to this so. podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us like on a Sunday morning. Be Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive well Baptist Church well. is located if at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application. Bones can live? He responded and he said, Well, thou knowest. I don't know if they're going to live or not. But I know that you know whether they'll live or not. And I know that you had the ability to give them life. And then he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you. Who's going to cause breath to enter into them? The Lord is. It's the same one that causes the spiritual life to enter into you. He says, and he says, and behold, I will cause breath to enter into you. And what's the outcome of it? He said, I'll cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And when the Lord gives us that quickening spirit, we live. We have life a hundred percent of the time. The gospel is a wonderful message because it, it, it sets us free from so many, many things. It tells us who Christ is. But the gospel comes on the scene after we've been given spiritual life. If we don't have spiritual life, we're not going to have an appreciation for the things of Almighty God. Yes, you ought to believe in Christ. I'm telling you what, you'll be delivered from so many things if you have a belief and a hope in Jesus Christ. If he is your all in all. But your belief is not what's going to give you spiritual life. Your belief is a result of having spiritual life. He says right here, he says, I'm going to give you Life and breath, and you're going to live. It goes on down, and and, uh, and he says in verse 14, and he shall put my spirit and and my and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and that I, the Lord, have performed it. There's a lot more verses. Hebrews chapter 8 is really, really good. Matthew chapter 121, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I believe that he did it. And that's the gospel message that we delight to share with you. That's what Mount Carmel has proclaimed for 83, four years. And I hope if it lasts another 83 years that Mount Carmel will still proclaim that eternal life comes solely by the quickening spirit of Almighty God. And it's effective 100% of the time. That's a cardinal principle of Mount Carmel. And I thank God for it.